Okay. Uh, good evening, everybody. Great to have everybody here. Um, the topic actually that, uh, as always, if you're interested in sharing your screen, uh, turning your camera on, I'd love to see you. If you don't want to, also okay. Um, that's the convenience of Zoom, right? Um, so, um, but uh, anyways, um, yeah, so this is a topic that, that I've actually thought about a lot. It comes up actually fairly frequently. Um, and I think it's a, it's a question. I think, I think it, it, in a certain sense, it's, um, the idea that we should care, uh, what other people think about us, uh, about how we observe mitzvot or don't observe mitzvot, I think is very non, uh, 2020, to be honest. Like I do what I want. I do my thing. Um, everyone has to be respectful of each other, which is actually, and, and it actually, not just not 2020, it almost seems not Jewish. Um, in the sense that we care very much about being down in the kapschus, we should we should we look at other people. We try not to judge each other. The Chazal tell us very strong language now that we shouldn't be judging each other, etc. So how could there be uh, these halachos, uh, which we'll see? And we have to understand how they really what they really are. That talk about or seem to talk about uh, concern. What might people say? What might people think? Uh, why would we have uh, such a concept in the halacha? If after all, we're not supposed to judge each other, we're not supposed to, uh, we're supposed to look at each other in a positive, from, as much as possible in a positive way. So what, what does it even mean? Um, but as with everything, it's important for us to understand where these halachos come from and what scenarios they really exist and which scenarios they don't really exist. So we're going to try tonight to uh, give some type of overview of the concept of Marasan in general, uh, where it comes from, what the source is, in what situations it's applicable, it's, it's very applicable to this very day in many, in many contexts. Um, and then, and, and hopefully what I'd like to do also is talk a little bit about the Hashkafa. Uh, why, again, what, what does this really mean? And what does it mean for us as, as Jews, the concept in general? So um, we'll start right from the beginning. Uh, source number one on your source sheet. Um, I'm going to share it one more time in case you just joined us. Um, it's in the chat box if you want it. Um, Source number one. So first of all, where does that whole idea come from? So the whole concept of what we call Maris Ayin, what, again, literally translated Maris Ayin means the way one might look at it, right? That's really what it means. Um, the, the, how it looks to the eye, literally, right? So where does it come from? It comes from a, a Pasuk in Parshish Matos. Parshish Matos is not one of the most famous or most uh, talked about Parshios, but a very important one nonetheless says the Torah in source number one. And what's the context? The context here is the Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruved. The Am Yisrael is about to go over, cross the Yardin to go into Eretz Yisrael, or getting very close at least. And the, the tribes of God and Ruvain say to Moshe Vene, you know, we're not really interested in going. Uh, we'd rather just stay here. Uh, there's beautiful, fertile, fertile ground here. We have a lot of cattle, etc. Let us just, you know, hang out on this side, which of course makes Moshe Vene furious. After all, this was the sin of the spies. The Maravim themselves said, you know, we don't want to go in, etc. What are you going to do to the people, etc. So Moshe makes them a deal in the end. He says, you know what? You want to go in? I'll make you a deal. You go in and you first lead the charge into Eretz So you guys will be at the front of the war. You cross the Yardain. You'll come in and you'll, and you'll lead the battle against the seven nations. And then you want to go back? That's fine. That's fine. 
but to stay on the other side while your, while your brothers go into war, that's not going to happen. So if you look at verse number one, at the end of that conversation, he says, He says, go in to Eretz Yisrael. You're going to go and, and help us, you know, uh, help us um, conquer the land. And then you'll go back. And then you'll go back. And what's going to happen? And you'll be clean. You'll be clean from God and clean from Am Yisrael. And then what's going to happen? The land will belong to you. And the question is, what does it mean you'll be, you'll be cleaned from Hashem and from Yisrael? What's a simple, a simple answer to that question? What would be the simple, the simple understanding of that, of that Pasuk? Anybody want to give a shot? Like just a, a very simple explanation. What, is it, what does emotion mean? Now you'll be you know, cleansed from Am Yisrael and from HaKadosh Baruch. What would that mean? Anyone want to give it a shot? Any ideas? What that would mean? You can unmute yourself if you'd like. But you don't have to. Okay, no takers. The simple shot would be that when you've fulfilled your mission, then God will be happy with you and the Jewish people will be happy with you. You've, you've t- taken care of, the, of this job so that God is not upset anymore. And also, Amish won't be upset. They won't feel like you've abandoned them because you didn't abandon them. You came in and you fought with them. Right? The other 10 tribes aren't going to feel like you messed them over because you were willing to come in and fight with them. So you'll be knucky, you'll be clean, you'll be, on a, you know, you'll be smooth sailing. Both Klape Shemayim, the Kaddish Baruch will be happy with you, and your brothers and sisters who live in Eretz Yisrael will be happy with you also. Okay, so the, so the mission of Mesech HaShkalim picks up on this Pasuk and says as follows. And the mission here is talking about a case when they would go in to uh, take out money that had been donated to the, to, to the Beis HaMikdash to be used for... Um, to be used for the korbanos, etc. People would give donations every year, that would be used for all the needs of the, of the Beis HaMikdash. And there would be a, there certain individuals who were the, you know, gabayim, when there was their job to go get that money and go take it and buy korbanos, etc. So there was a, a rule about if you would walk into the, the, this area, the area where they kept the, um, the area where they kept these donations, these funds, it was like the, you know, the piggy bank, basically, of the Beis HaMikdash. And there was a rule about the clothing that you were allowed to wear when you would go in. So the mission says as follows. Because a person wasn't allowed to wear certain clothing when they would go in to the uh, Lishka to get the money. Okay? It just means you're going to take the money to come out to make payments to buy you know, animals for korbanos, etc. Why? Why? Because when a person goes in, you have to, a person always has to be careful, not just that between you and Hashem you're good, you have to make sure that, that other human beings can trust you. And another Pasuk in Mishlei, Pasuk says in Mishlei, again, you should find favor, not just in the eyes of uh, other people, but also in Hashem, but also in the eyes of other people. So what, what is this clothing? What, what's this special clothing you're not allowed to wear? So it's, so the, to the Bar Tanur, in Shosh 3, explains, what's a pargo to chapot? Kishamalbush aruch, aruch v'koflin osom l'malat. Basically, you weren't allowed to have any, you know, uh, flaps or extra pockets or things like that in your clothing when you're walking into Lishka. Why? Because what could be the assumption? What might a person be doing if you have a nice baggy clothing with a lot of pockets and all kinds of things? You walk into the, you know, into the safe of the Beis HaMedosh. 
You might slip in, you know, a few coins might fall into your, you know, get stuck in the, in the folds of your clothing, right? So you couldn't even wear clothing that had, you know, uh, these types of folds in it because we'd be nervous that a person might think that you're dropping a little extra, you're skipping a little off the top. But again, not only that you are not allowed to take the money, right? You're not even allowed to wear clothing that would make it possible for that to happen. Why? Because you don't want people to think about you that you are, again, trying to skim a little off the top. Um, and the Pharisee Sisro, who's one of, the, uh, one of the commentaries on the Mishnah, so he writes as follows, source number four, nearly the lahachi naka kra basra. So why, is he, why, why is there two psuk in here? We said, Yisim Nikim Hashem Yisrael, that's, that's, you know, Marasayan. What's the second pasuk? So he says, If I just had the first pasuk, Maybe it's only if you're doing something that people are really going to think you did something forbidden. Let's just back up for one second. Why were B'nai God and B'nai Reuven? Why is that? A, what, what was it that they did that was so terrible? So they did was so terrible is that they, they looked like they didn't want to go to Eretz Israel. And that was the plan. And by saying, you just want to stay here, they were almost showing that they wanted to, again, reject the fact that a God had offered, Am Yisrael, offered Eretz Israel to Am Yisrael. So people are going to think about them, again, that you're afraid to go in, they don't want to go. So, uh, so that, that was what Ben Gadam and Reuven did. What did it look like? It looked like they were, didn't trust in Hashem. They were afraid to go to war. So what did they do? They said, okay, we'll go in. What do you show? I'm not afraid. I know that God's going to protect us, etc. But in this case, the case of the guy going into the, to get the money, he's not doing anything wrong. He's just going in to get the money. He's just going to go pay the bills for the Beis HaMikdash. Nothing wrong there. And he's wearing normal clothing. Every clothing has pockets or little, you know, little folded over areas, etc. So, th- so therefore, you might think, you might think that's okay. The answer is no. Kamash Mulan, that no, you have to go above and beyond. Kamash Mulan, it's not enough, just says it very so that, that you have to make sure that no one should think you did something usher. More than that, you have to go above and beyond to make sure you're totally clean. People should say, wow, what a, what a, you know, not just that person's normal. They don't violate Isurim. They're not stealing from somebody. That's normal, not to steal from somebody. But no, you have to go above. You have to, you, have to, you know, dress extra in a way that it makes it so clear that you would never do anything wrong. Okay. So that's one example. One example is, again, this, this person who would go into the, to the Lishka, that they're not allowed, they have to wear special clothing to make sure no one should ever think they're doing something that's awesome. Um, another example that Tosefta brings in source number five, when a person would leave Peah. What's Peah? Peah is a person would go ahead and they would, uh, anytime a person would, uh, you know, harvest in their field, so they would have to leave the corner of their field uh, unharvested, and uh, Aniyim, poor people could go and collect from that, from that corner that you would leave over. So the question is, where should you leave that corner? You could leave that corner, the closest corner to your house. So let's say you have, right, let's say you have a big field, and you have your house on one end, and you have the, you know, the, the thoroughfare all the way at the other end of your field, of your, your house, the field, and the thoroughfare. So what could you do? You could just leave the little corner right next to your window, right? That little corner right by your house, you could leave open. The halakha is not allowed to do that. The corner you have to leave is the, is the corner that's the most open to everybody else. Take a look at the Tzadim, verse number five. Person should leave the peya, the corner, at the end, for a number of reasons. 
But the, one of the reasons is One of the reasons you're supposed to leave that, that corner where everyone can see is so everyone should know that you left pay. No one should think that you didn't. When people are going to say, they don't walk by your house and say, oh, what is the pay? I don't understand. We all did, uh, we all harvested our field this week and uh, we all left the corner empty, you know, still standing. And where's, uh, where's, uh, you know, Shmendrick? He didn't leave it, right? He, he, uh, his field looks totally clean. Looks like he cleaned it out. He didn't leave pay. Even though I did. I just left the corner near my house. It's still all the way far down the other side of the field. You can't see it. So what do you do? You have to leave it at the farthest end so anybody walking by will see and know that you, uh, they, they shouldn't think that you didn't take payah. We have this example also in Hilchas Hanukkah. Uh, if a person has, you know, the, the Gemara talks about a case where a person has like two entrances to their house. They have an entrance on this side and they have an entrance on another, you know, on, a, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the corner house, let's say. You have uh, an entrance right here and then on the other side, by the other street, you have another entrance. So the discussion in the, in the, in the post-game, should a person, maybe a person has to light a menorah in their usual place and light another menorah by the other window. Why? It's the same reason. So a person shouldn't think, you know, walk by and say, wow, this guy doesn't light Hanukkah candles. That's crazy. Today, we're less concerned about that because people light inside their house. I'm necessarily the light by the window always. But, um, but again, the same idea. Why? What's the concern? The very same concern. Maybe someone's going to think you didn't do the mitzvah. So according to this, how do you define Maris Ayin? What is Maris Ayin? What's the concern? Anybody with me? What would be the concern in this case? For your, for your own reputation. For your own reputation. Exactly. Very simple. That, that people shouldn't say that I do a virus. And, I, maybe I'll, and, and by the way, maybe I'll say, I don't care. Think I do a virus. I don't care. So you think, I think I don't do the mitzvah. What's the answer? What's the answer? You do have to care. Right, the answer is you do have to care. That you have to pay attention. It, it matters. You sh- you're, you're not, it's an isser. It's, you're, you're, you are forbidden from, or, or to admit to say, at least, that you should make sure that people don't think that you're not doing, keeping the halacha correctly. Fine. Another example. Source number six. It's Gemara and Krisis. Uh, blood. You're not allowed to drink blood. Right? You can't drink the blood of an animal. That's, uh, that's a no-no. Right? So this is the right to drink the blood. Hadam no enough. You're not allowed to drink the blood of an animal. So that's why we're so careful when we, uh, you know, you shecht an animal, you salt it, you soak it, etc. You get all the blood out. The, the red that you see even today in a, uh, in a uh, piece of meat, in a steak or in a, you know, uh, some chicken, etc. That's not halachically dumb. That's already just like the remnants, like the, you know, the red juice that's still left over. But that's not really dumb because they get all the dumb out uh, through the salt, salt again soaking process. But so what happens though? What if, what if a person would want to drink the blood of a fish? The blood of a fish is not forbidden to drink. Okay? What about the blood of a human? Blood of a human is also not forbidden to, to, to eat or drink. It's gross, maybe, but it's not forbidden. Um, so the Gemara says as follows, Amarav, dam dogim shekinsu aser. Let's say a person took, a, uh, took the blood of a, of, a, of a fish and put it in a cup. You're not allowed to drink it, he says. So Gemara says, Es mese. The Gemara brings a contradiction. What do you mean? Dam chagavim mutter bafilu chachila. Dam dogim dachagavim. The blood of a fish, the blood of a Grasshopper, that's permissible. Again, the, the, the grasshoppers that are permissible to eat. I don't know. There's certain grasshoppers that are permissible to eat. Um, so, so you're allowed to drink, drink the blood of a fish. So why, why does Rav say you're not allowed to? So, when Rav says it's forbidden, that's when what? That's if there's no scales on the table. 
what do you mean scales on the table? If you have scales on the table, what does it show? It shows I'm not drinking blood. I'm drinking, uh, I'm drinking, uh, you know, uh, fish blood. But if I don't, but if I have, don't have any scales on the table, what is someone going to think? Someone's going to think that I'm drinking, you know, uh, real blood, and that would be terrible. They think I'm doing this derisa. So that's again an iser of maris ein. So what's interesting is that you see already in this, in this. Uh, um, well, look, look, at, look what Rashi says in source number seven. So, Rashi, so, so what's the Isser here? So again, it could be that people will think that I'm doing an Isser, right? They'll think I'm drinking blood. Okay. Because if I don't have these scales, they'll think I'm drinking blood, which is, which is an Avera. But Rashi says like this, the Michlif Badan Behema, Viharoa Omer, Mutter Lecholdam. It's a different concept. Rashi says, what's the reason why in this case you're, uh, you are not allowed to drink this Dam unless you have the scales there? Because someone's going to say, wow. I guess I'm a, great, awesome. I, this guy, I know him. He's a, you know, a very firm person. He keeps all the halachos and he drinks blood. Must be, right? Must be. I'm allowed to drink blood, right? We all do the same thing. Oh, someone with the, right, been on vacation. Is that place kosher? I don't know. Someone in the Amka did it. Great. So it must be that's fine. Must be that's, that's kosher, right? So same thing here. This person who I know is a firm person is drinking this blood. So it must be that drinking blood is permissible. I'm not saying you want to drink blood, but okay. That's what that's the Gabar's concerned about. So this, this already is a different story, right? This isn't a concern that I think the person's doing an isser, it's actually the opposite. It's the concern that I think the person's doing something that's totally permissible, but I, but I think that the thing that they're doing, right, I might make a mistake now and think that something else, which is really usser, is okay. Right, so you have one type of maris ayin, right, which, is, which is what we call like chashad. Right? It's a concern that people will think that this person is doing a virus. Right? Some might think that I'm doing something that's usser, even though what I'm doing is totally permissible. Right? The other concern is, maybe some will see me doing something that is totally permissible, they'll think it's, for, it's something different, right? And they'll think that that thing which is really forbidden is actually permissible to do. So the, there's a two very different concerns, right? One is a concern about what people will think of me, and one is a concern about what other people might do because they see me doing it. Here, they're, here they're, they're obviously they're being down the top list, they're assuming that I'm that I'm, I'm, I'm from and I do the right stuff and I do the right things and they're going to now do the wrong thing because of that. So there's two different directions to take this concern of Maris Ayin. This is basically the two issues that the post can talk about and the Rishonim talk about when they talk about Maris Ayin. Is it an issue and there's, and there's both. There's, there's the one side, the problem of people thinking that other people are doing something that's forbidden and the other problem is the concern that someone might come to mistakenly think something which is forbidden is actually permissible. So that's how. Question. Yes. I have a question going back to Paya. I would love a question. Going back to Paya. Yeah. Uh, so the corner of the fields for the poor, I would have thought that you'd want to put the corner in a more private place so people, when they come and they need, aren't embarrassed. So does more science take precedence over embarrassing? Over embarrassing someone. Very good. Very interesting. That's a good question. It's, I think part of the. Part of the, um, yeah, but might, you could make the opposite argument. I don't know sociologically how it plays out. You can make the argument that if you leave it very close to your house, that's also embarrassing. Because then the person yeah, has to come. Be a corner that's not public and not next to your house. Right, right. It could be. It's a good question. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Like, how does that play when you, you're covered a brios also, right? The concern for embarrassing somebody. How does that play in? It's a good question. I'm not totally sure in terms of the case of pay exactly, you know, the location here. But... Yeah, that's a good question. Because part of the concern that the Gemara actually gives, the Seth gives a number of concerns. And some of the concerns are that the Neum won't be able to, again, in, some, in certain cases, if it's, if it's more public, 
only the Aniyim will take and other people will be embarrassed to take what belongs, what's rightfully belongs to the Aniyim. So you have to kind of like balance the two. If it's too hidden, then people who don't deserve it are going to go grab it also and, and, they, and they won't be embarrassed to do so because so it's a kind of like a, you know, it's a good question how that played out sociologically in those days. Rabbi? Yes. Quick question. Um, the case that you brought, the, the, the uh, proof text uh, in Matos, which one would that be? Would that be Hashad or is that Mara science? So I think it's Hashad. That's more of a Hashad because that case is, it seems that they, that they saw it as Hashad that the concern was, it's funny, it, you could have argued it's neither, actually. I, I think it's neither. It doesn't sound like either. Right, it doesn't sound like either. So the Tiferes Yisrael... It's really rectified quickly. Right. It's, well, it's rectified, except that the concern is not really a concern that people will think they're doing an Isser, but we're going to see what the Tiferes Yisrael thinks they did. But you could also argue that's not the thing they did an Isser, but they're concerned... Really, what, what, if you read the story, what makes Moshe Rabbeinu crazy, and he goes crazy on them, is because we just spent 38 extra years in the desert... 39 extra years in the desert. Why? Because people refused to go to Eretz Yisrael and they were afraid to go. And you're now bringing out that same fear in the people again. That's what Moshe is really bothered by. So the way that the Pharisees Yisrael said it in source number four, he said the concern is um, that they're going to think, right, that they don't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. They, don't, they basically don't have bitachon Hashem. They think they don't trust God and they don't want to go. So it's a good question. Like, what isser is that? Um, is an Isra of like a lack of emuna? I don't know. Um, but but it's, it seems to be that, that they, he's viewing that as some type of, of you know, either you know, not having emuna or some type of Isra of not listening to Hashem who's telling them to go into Eretz Yisrael. Again, it could be an Isra of not listening to a, a mitzvah that is just b'shaita, it's just a mitzvah for then, right? Which was time to cross the Yardin. Some sort of uh, obligation. Naki, Naki means like some sort of obligation. Right. Both Ben Dama Right, but his Naki, the Naki there really is that like now both Hashem and the rest of the Jewish people will be good with you. But I guess you could argue you'll, you'll be good with you that both Hashem knows that you're not afraid, right? Because the real concern is God's going to think that you don't trust Him, right? So A, God won't think you don't trust Him because God will see you going and fighting the battles. And number two, the people will see, oh, see, they're not afraid. They trust Hashem also. They're just going to go back to their land afterwards. Right? So that's like the issue. But I, th- but I think it's a chashad issue. It's fundamentally a chashad issue. Um, from B'nai Gav and Reuven. Presumably. Um, but we're going to see actually that Rav Moshe in source number 8 is going to talk about sort of this distinction, some of these distinctions here also in terms of what is really the concern here. So look at Igor's motion, source number 8. So he says the following. Um, it's, it's beautiful. It's, a, it's a, a letter that was written to him by his son, by Reuven Feinstein, who wrote the, 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 the question to his father. Um, so in the second paragraph, he says, right, That people will think you're doing an Isser that comes in, in, in Mesech HaShkalim. Mikrov, Yisim Nikim HaShem, Yisrael, Hu Isser Mida Araisa. You shouldn't do things that people, that it's an isidaraisa or dindaraisa, that you should not do things that will make people think badly about you. Uh, right? and, and, that's, and one of those things is, again, that you have to put, leave the, the, the peya in the corner of the field. Because you don't have to ask me like what you know, where is it, what, what other iser is it? This is the iser. The iser is to do things that make people believe that you did an iser. 
However, he says, There are two types of Maris Ayin. Right, this is the other point, right? Not that they think it's something, something mutter, but they're going to think that just like that's mutter, also something else, which is actually usher, is mutter. But the, the second level, right, the Isra of Chashad, that's the Daraisa. The issue of people might see what you did and might learn to do something else, that is not an Isra, that's not an Isra Daraisa, that's only, that's only a Dinder And that's kind of, there's a big nafkamina, there's a big difference if it's Daraisa or Dinder in terms of how far we take it. Right, are we, you know, when, when something's Daraisa, we're going to take it much more seriously, especially in the case of Suffolk, etc., but it, something, something's derabanan, so we'll be careful. But again, we can't extend it in the same, in the same way. Uh, Rav Asher Weiss, in source number nine, he says, so he says a little bit different. But we, we've ta- uh, we actually, uh, in the Shir over Shabbos, we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, about Bikr uh, Cholim and Nicham Avelim, that the Rambam writes that these are, Mitzvos midrabanan, which come from the mitzvah daraisa of yathrech kamocha, um, and so what does that mean exactly? It means like when you do it, it's a it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. You get a, like a kiyum daraisa, but the actual specifics are midrabanan, um, and that's what that's what he's pointing out here. Even though you have sukim, but again, it's not really uh, an isidera daraisa per se, but it's more like an isidera which is like a, an extension of a daraisa, which is interesting. But the bottom line is, everyone agrees that there are these two th- these two parts. These two parts to it. Fine. Is there like a practical or difference between where one might be permitted because of Chashad but us because of Marzah? Yes. And vice versa? Yes. We're going to see it in a second actually. Because um, if something's only, we're going to talk about the case of almond milk with, with chicken or almond milk with meat. And does that, does that uh, cause us a problem um, in the same way? Well, that's the kind of well, actually, it's a little different. That's the case of chashad on an But what we're going to see as we move along, we'll see there might be, there might be a distinction here. So let's, uh, let's keep going here. So there's another, a couple of other examples. Um, um, yeah, so the, the one thing that's going to be interesting to see is what happens if the issue that, the thing that you're doing is only asr in the first place. Um, so take a look, look at source number, source number 10, so it talks about a case of a person who is, uh, you know, walking on the street. It's probably happened to you many times. Right? You're walking on Shabbos, and all of a sudden, a downpour, you know, it comes out of nowhere, right? And you get soaking wet, right? And what do you do with your clothing afterwards? Right? You have soaking wet clothing on Shabbos. What do you do with it? So, because uh, the, the rule in general is you're not supposed to hang up clothes to dry on Shabbos. If you hang, again, how would you hang up clothes to dry on Shabbos? How would you do that in the old days? Where would you hang your clothes to dry? Yeah, outside and some clothesline, right? And who puts clothing on a clothesline? When do you put clothing on a clothesline? Wives? No, people do it after they, after they wash people their clothing. People wash it. Right, people wash their clothes. I'm glad. Thank you guys for like waking up. Like, yeah, I appreciate it. Right? People who do, who do laundry. Right? People who do laundry are the people who hang their clothes on a clothesline. So, what's, so if a person goes hanging up their clothes on a clothesline, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? People are going to think that what? That you... Again, that you, uh, that you wash your clothing on Shabbos, right? So it says the Gemara as follows. Misha nishu kelav baderech b'mayim. A person's clothing came wet on Shabbos. Mehalach behen vena choshish. You can walk in the clothing, not a problem. No one's not thinking you, you, whatever, you went swimming, you did something, whatever. 
If you show up at your in the outer courtyard, shodchan b'chama, you can you can put them out in the sun. Avalo keneged ha'am. But you shouldn't do that where people can see. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav, kol makom she'atzur chachamim peimaras ayin afilu b'chadrei chadarim aser. But the Gemara says, but wait a second, and this is a different a different piece of this, which is a, a whole other uh, part of this conversation, which is that things that are aser because of marasan, you're actually not allowed to do typically even in front of other people. Uh, sorry, even even in the privacy of your own home. Because um, once it becomes Asim Shemar Sain, it's always Asim. So the Gemara says, What do you mean? Over here, you're telling me I can do it, but just not so people can't see. What do you mean? If it's Asim, it's Asim, no matter what. So the Gemara says, This is a machlokis here. In the Gemara, whether you can actually, whether, whether we say Mar Sain sometimes can be done not in front of others. Um, another example the Gemara gives is the case of a person has a, uh, you know, some type of pipe that gets that gets stuffed, stuffed up, right? And you're able to kind of, uh, un, you know, undo it by just like kicking the stuff out of the pipe. So what's going to happen when you do that? When you kick the stuff out, so it's only us in Midra Bonan, and therefore you're allowed to, uh, again, you're gonna, it's going to, it would break otherwise, etc. So we're allowed to do that in that case. But again, you're not supposed to do it. You're only supposed to do it if no one can see. Because again, if someone sees, what might they think? They might think that you really fixed it in a regular way, which would be Nisida and again, so as long as you do it, no one, no one would see, so then we're not as concerned. But the, but, um, so, so, the, so how do you explain this? So how do you explain examples of when something would, if other people saw it, would be Marasayin, but you can do it privately sometimes. So how does that work? So Tosas in source number 13 points, explains it. Says Tosas as follows, V'had da'arma komakum she'asur chachamim p'nei marasayin afili b'chadri chadarim, asar, ha'inu dafka bi'isr melacha da'araisa. And this is a distinction that, that is made. This is not in terms of whether the, the maris ayin is a question that's daraisa derabbanan, but the thing you're doing. And the thing you're doing is an isa daraisa, or it would look like an isa daraisa, sorry. So that, that you can't do whether it's outside or whether nobody sees. You just, if, it's, if it's something that looks like an isa daraisa, you can't even do it privately. Kamo shodcham bacham, right? Like, like putting your clothing out to dry. Because if you see that, they might think that you actually washed them on Shabbos. But the case of the, the stoppage of the drain, which in that case is in Nisad Darabanan, only what you're going to do, so that you could do even if people would see. Um, so the, but the point is that there can be distinctions in terms of what it is that you're actually doing. And if the thing that you're actually doing um, is, is, uh, raises a concern that it might be Nisad Daraisa, someone might think you're doing Nisad Daraisa, even if you're not. Again, the whole point is you're not doing any Yisra Ramir. But that that becomes more uh, more concerning, and you couldn't do that even privately. But something that's only nisad darabon, and you could do you could do if uh, if it's only private and no one will see, that would be okay, fine. But that just shows you some some distinctions here. But let's get to some of the classical uh, applications here of this din. So one of them is the case of almond milk, almond milk and uh, and meat. So like you, right, this is a classic example we have today, right? You're gonna go to get an impossible burger. Right at the, at any store, right? You get an Impossible Burger. You're sitting in, uh, you know, uh, again, see the Impossible Burger is even better, not even such a good example because Impossible Burgers, I th- I think, right? They only they're typically only served at, or if you get an Impossible Burger at a milk restaurant, there's not really any chashad. Why not? You're at a, you're at a dairy restaurant and you're having something that looks like a cheeseburger. Why would that maybe be less of a concern? Because the restaurant has ashkacha. The restaurant has ashkacha. It's a dairy restaurant. 
So it'd probably be less of a concern that somebody's really thinking you're eating a cheeseburger, right? But okay, but it, but it's a good example. The Impossible Burger is a good example, right? Impossible Burger with cheese is gonna look like a look. It looks like it looks to everybody like a cheeseburger. That's what it looks like, and they want it to look like that, right? That's the whole point. It looks like it. So uh, so the so the the old example of a of an Impossible Burger was when people would want to have almond milk with and, and they would marinate chicken in almond milk. Is that permissible? So what's the what's the concern? The concern is that it's going to look like I'm cooking meat and milk. So someone tell me why the case of chicken and uh, marinating chicken and almond milk would be less of a concern. Why would chicken maybe be less of a concern than, than, than a steak? So there's a discussion in the, in the Gemara whether we assume that the Isra of chicken and milk is the rice or the Rabbanon. In fact, there's a story, there's the Gemara talks about Yossi Aglili who thought it was permissible. And in Yossi Aglili's town, they would actually have you could have a you know chicken cheese uh, you know sandwich whatever. So so the, the big discussion here at Machlok is between the Yamshel Shlomo, the Marshal, and the and the Rama. So the Marshal says as follows in verse number fourteen. He writes, "Garcinim bebrisa perak dam shchita." He talks about the case of uh, the, you know, the 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 blood of the fish, and he says as the following. In the second line, apparently there's a minog on Purim. I don't know why there's a Purim minog. To have, uh, to have chicken and almond milk. He writes, that's forbidden. Unless, what do you do? Unless you put out, and this is where you're going to see this possibility of sometimes avoiding Marasain by, by making it clear that you're not doing the Isser. So here the example is, you're going to put out almonds around your plate. You put almonds around the plate. Okay? Why? Uh, he says, but specifically when it comes to, 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 to chicken, why? There's more of a concern there. Because we're really concerned. He says, it's so interesting. He says, I'm not nervous as much when you have mamish, you know, a hamburger and almond milk. Why? Because no one thinks that's okay. But when it comes to chicken, I've had, I had students in, when I was in, in high school, yeah, it's true, Rebbe, it's okay. Chicken's not so bad, right? That's where people already, you know, they're starting to wiggle, right? So that's actually more concerning in that case. And therefore, he says that's forbidden unless, unless you're going to have something out there that's going to make it clear that, that, it was, that it's almond milk, okay? The, um, the Ramah argues, right? He says in Surah number 15, the Rakim Moshe was, was uh, the commentary on the tour, and then he eventually, that is the Ramah, the same person, he says, I heard Shamati that Rib Shlomo Luria, Lama Mikan Le Sorlacho Basar Of Bechalav Shaosi Mishkedim, El Imkeni Nichominashkedim, Eslam Bishumaris Ayin, Van Hechrech Vidvarv, the shiny dam, Shu Isser Kuris. He says, What are you talking about? You need to put almonds out there? Nothing. It's totally fine, says the Ramah. And the dam is different. Why? Because in the case of dam, why, why are we concerned so much if you're going to think you're drinking blood? Because drinking blood is an Isser Kuris. So it's very high level Isser. Right? But this is very different. This is only in the first place. What, the, what do people think you're doing? They only think you're doing in this in the first place. And so the Ramah writes, it's totally permissible. I'm not worried about it at all. It's totally fine. And that's how you pass this in Shulchan Aruch. That to have, to have uh, almond milk with, with uh, chicken is not a problem at all. So, so the Salvechik actually... Uh, has an interesting piece on this question. It, found, it happens to be it's in the, the, this Chumash. The Mesorah's Harav Chumash. It's a very, it's a, it's a very, very nice uh, set of Chumashim. It's in five volumes. 
It has like all these beautiful. They take they take the Torah from the Rav all over all over in his different his different writings and bring them all in the Chumash. It's like what they did with Chabad, did with the the Babich Rebbe. They made that, that orange Chumash, same thing. So, but but every once in a while you find a halachic piece in there, and, that, and, and he, this is one right here. So if you look on Torah number seventeen, he writes as follows, where it starts a new paragraph. It would appear the difference of opinion between the Ramah and the Marashal is based on two possible rationales for the Maris Ayin prohibition. This is something we haven't really seen before. He says, according to the Marashal, Maris Ayin is an extension of the prohibition of listening Evir. And so the Marashal, says the Rav, is concerned. What's the concern? Again, we've said this before. It's not that what people are going to say about me, but what they're going to do themselves. And the Marashal says it's an extension of the Isser of not to put a stomach block in front of a blind person. So if I do X, right, what are people going to think? They're going to think that something very related is permissible and it's not. And I'm putting a stumbling block in front of it. So I can't do this because it looks like something that otherwise would be us and can make that person make a mistake. Um, cautioning us against doing an act that could be misinterpreted after observing his peer engage in what appears to be a prohibited activity. An onlooker may mistakenly reason that a specific prohibited act is in fact permitted. If Lifnaivir is the rationale for Marasayan, there'd be no difference between a biblical or rabbinic prohibition. There's Lifnaivir on Isir, there are Banan also. And I can't, I can't sell somebody a chicken cheese sandwich. I can't do that. Just like I can't sell them a hamburger, I can't give a, a, a Jewish person a cheeseburger, I can't sell them a chicken cheese sandwich either. That, 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 that's Lifnaivir on both, right? Any inappropriate action would fall under this category. However, the Ramah understands Marasayan differently. The prohibition is based not on lifnei iver, but on the principle articulated in our verse, v'yisim nekim yashem Yisrael, that one's actions must, be, must not be suspect. The Gemara Yuma gives two examples, and he talks about a couple of examples, other examples of, of Marasayin. But, but the point is that the Ramah believes that it's a, just a concern of suspicion, of what people think about yourself. So he writes in the last paragraph there, or the second to the last paragraph, a few lines down, Ramah apparently maintains that Maris Ayn applies only to a suspicion of violating a biblical prohibitions, since only such prohibitions are covered by the principle of Yis and the Kim. Yis and the Kim is a biblical concept, right? So presumably it's only going to apply to things that you might do, which are from the Torah. And then the Rav adds one other piece, and this will kind of get our, get our appetite wet for the Hashkafa part in a, in a couple of minutes. And he writes as follows, One might think that one's reputation is his own concern, that he need not care about observers' opinions. Halacha, however, maintains that one has no right to sully his own reputation. His character is sacred and he's not permitted to forfeit his standing. The human personality must be protected and not degraded. We're going to see more of this in the Rav in a minute. But the bottom line is that the Rav, uh, very interestingly, sees to bring this distinction uh, that maybe the Machloks in the Marshal and the, and, and the Ramah is a question of, is meaning this question of the you know, Marasai, maybe it's not that it's both, but it's one or the other. Right? Is it an issue of my reputation? Or is it an issue of lifting evil? What might happen to other people? The nafkamina being the, the, the practical difference is does it apply to their abundance? And that the Ramah may argue it's only my reputation, that's only their isos, as opposed to uh, the Marashal says, no, it's still lifting evil, in which case that applies to all types of isur, which is kind of interesting. Source number 18, we won't read inside, but it's just interesting to point out that the, that the Ramah talks about a case of something that used to be forbidden. They used to say that you're not allowed, just like you can't have wool and linen together, you're not allowed to have silk and linen, uh, wool and silk together, because I guess it looked like wool and linen. But the Ramah writes that today, in his days, people already know the difference, and there was no reason to have that concern, and therefore it's not Maris Ayin anymore, which is very interesting, because this is one question that you know, often comes up for us, is like, well, maybe sometimes when something's new, people might make the mistake and think that 
you know, uh, if I do X, that Y is also permissible, or they might think I'm doing something that's usher. But once a new innovation becomes, you know, very uh, public and everybody knows about it, then there's a lot less of a concern of that type of suspicion. And so it's just, it's just cool to see that within the halacha, there have been times historically where something used to be marasain and is no longer marasain, right? Um, and that's going to apply also, we're going to see in the, the, a couple other examples that have been talked about a lot in the postgame. Uh, one is the issue of when margarine first became a thing, right? Margarine that looked like butter. Can't believe it's not butter, right? Uh, when uh, the issue of non-dairy creamer became a thing. And the, 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 the final question, the question of going into a non-kosher restaurant, like for a business meeting or to get a coffee at McDonald's and things like that, how does that fall into Mara's eye? So the Divrei Malkiel in Torah number 19, I'm not going to go into the whole, whole piece now because it's getting late, but he basically points out that... Um, you know, this, this question of margarine came up and he basically said that, you know, can I use margarine on, on meat? Uh, it's going to look like I'm using butter, which again would be, maybe it could be an isidaraisa even if it's hot. So he, he pointed out that you can rely on the fact that people are going to, you know, these things become famous. There's uh, articles and you put articles in the newspaper. It said, you know, there's this new thing called margarine. It's not, it's not dairy, I promise. Right? And everyone will know what it is. You know, so then it becomes much less of a concern for, uh, from Maris Ayin. And he says, um, if you do that, I'm not, I'm not really worried. Um, and then he points out another piece, which is there's some of the Achorim talk about that maybe we can't make, Maris Ayin applies to the cases that the Gemara gave. But in cases that are outside of that purview, we're not going to extend it. You make new examples of Maris Ayin. So he says, for that reason, he said he wasn't concerned since people know about margarine, not, not concerned about it either. Uh, relatively same conversation when, it, when it, what happened with non-dairy creamer when it first came out. Have non-dairy creamer at the end of a, a, a fleshic meal. And Vadi Yosef and, the, and Vasher Weiss kind of all came to the same agreement, which is that A, you can have it at the end of the meal. And if you had it at the end of the meal, all the meat's off the table anyways, right? We're talking about, again, an there are of eating milk after meat. That's the, we're not even talking about Isidore rice anymore. And second of all, again, the same idea, people start to know about non-dairy creamer, or maybe you keep the, keep the container somewhere so people will know what it is. You know, but the bottom line is that once people start to know about these things, then there really isn't, um, there really isn't that concern anymore. And when it comes to non-kosher restaurants, uh, there's a couple of very interesting chubas. One is a chuba from Moshe, from Moshe Feinstein that we spoke about many years ago when we talked about the question of going to business meetings in a non-kosher restaurant. Where Moshe writes, that if a person is going to go into a, non, you know, a non-kosher dairy restaurant to get certain things, the first one he talks about how a non-kosher dairy restaurant has all kinds of yisurim that could, that could happen. You know, oils and things that they're using that could be in cheeses and all kinds of stuff that could be really yisurim, dairy restaurant even. But then he says if a person's like starving and they're really you know, uh, in pain, they, they, they have nothing to eat, etc., they can go in there and get something that's permissible to eat. But in, most, in this tribute, most rights only if there's no one around to see. He says you could go in, you'll buy something permissible, um, if, there's, if there's really nobody there. Or he says you have to show the people that you really don't feel well. And that's the reason you're going, you're starving. You have nothing to eat. Um, however, in the Emes Yaakov, in Michas Asher, they give it, uh, you know, different, different, different answers. The Emes Yaakov, Yaakov Kamenetsky, Source 23, writes, You have to have a meeting in a non-kosher restaurant. There's no problem with Marasayin. This shadow has become defunct, right, recently. Uh, but Mir Tashem, the Shalak should come back. People should be having meetings again in restaurants. But, uh, but you're going to go to a non-kosher restaurant uh, for a meeting, not a problem. Why? Because you could go into such a place and get a, a Sprite or something. You could get something kosher. 
have to go to the bathroom. People know you walk into a place that they go to the bathroom. So the person's going to be down the Kafchova and they won't be down the Kafchos. That's their problem. He goes, maybe it's even Kedesh Hashem. You show up, the, the, the Jewish person shows up and he doesn't eat the non-kosher things. Or maybe that itself is a Kedesh Hashem. It's a very uh, strong argument to be, to be made. And the Mechazash makes a little bit of a, kind of a, uh, you know, in, in the middle point where he says, look, people know, and many, many of the posts can say this, today, as you're in the city, etc., and, and from people are walking to a non-kosher restaurant, they know why you're going in. They know you're going in for a business meeting. And it's clear. Actually, if you're wearing your yarmulke, Right, you look like you're from, it's even more reason to assume that you're doing the right thing. Because if you really were doing the wrong thing, you probably wouldn't walk in with the yarmulke on. Right? So if a person doing that, even, even more reason. But even if not, people know. People know each other. They're in the city. They know that people go for business meetings. It's something people know about by now. And therefore, again, it's not an issue of Marasayan because it's something that people know. So this is like one interesting piece with, by the, from the Marasayan piece, which is that even though we have this Isser, and maybe even Issa Daraisa at times, because um, again, it's going to be a concern that people will think you're doing the Issa Daraisa. The posting seem to assume that in certain situations where it's clear that you're not doing the Isser, that, and people are not, you don't have the concern that people will think you're doing an Isser, so then that Isser, even Issa Daraisa, goes away, which is very interesting. Um, Rabbi, what if you went into a restaurant that had a questionable hashkacha? Okay, so, quite, so that's a good question because a questionable hashkacha, you know, what that's really going to mean is much lower level concern. Right, so maybe you're worried about Yisir Dera Banan, maybe not even, right? Um, so it's a good question. Meaning, so maybe you're worried about that, you're, that this could be something somebody sees you going in and they think that it's the question. Right, you're saying it might be worse to go to a place that has a question about Hashkachan than to go to a place that's not kosher. <laughs> it's an interesting point. It's an interesting point. Um, yeah, it is, it is true. It's a, it's a good question. Um, if that causes more of a Maris Ayn question. Um, again, the, the question that would become is, that this is a whole different question that goes back to the issue we gave uh, a number of years ago also, what makes a, what makes a hashkacha questionable, right? And a lot of times it's the amount of checking that's going on. Um, you know, and, and are we really dealing with, this is the very, very gray area in terms of hashkachos, are we really dealing with isurim um, or just a, like a concern that maybe there's isurim going on? So if that's true, that would make the Maris Ayn issue much lower. But I, I hear your question. Um... Okay, but I want to present to you now two, two perspectives um, about the, the Hashkafa here. And why, why do we care? Who cares? Who cares? So first of all, one answer is easy. Give me, someone give me an answer based on we saw basically two Svaras here, right? Two rationales. One is my reputation, and one is that my, people might think that I'm doing something that, you know, that people might think that something that's forbidden is permissible. So... In terms of why do I care what people think, one answer is obvious, right? If it's that people are going to make a mistake because of what I'm doing, and I'm, and I'm putting people in a position now to learn from me and maybe do the wrong thing, if it's lifting evir, like the Rav said, right? So then I totally understand why we care, because that's, that's a separate answer of putting people, you can't lead people on to make mistakes and, and, do, and end up violating Yisurim. That I understand more. But I think the one that's harder to, under, to appreciate, and that hence the title of the shir, why do we care what people think about us? It's my reputation. I can decide for myself, right? If I'm going to do things that are shady or not. Again, I'm not, I'm not even doing this, sir. I'm doing something that's totally permissible. It just doesn't look right. So, so what's wrong with that? Right? What's wrong with that? So look at Rav Soloveitchik in source 25. Uh, we're going to see something from the Rav and then something uh, appropriately from Rabbi Sachs. That's all. So um, the Rav says as follows. And he's talking about um, 
a different example. His example is that the halacha is, it's a Gemara and Brachos, it says if you're walking by a shul, and it's like the only shul in town, and it's the only tefillah in town, you know, that, that happened that day, and you walk by, you have to go into Davin. You can't walk fast, right? Why not? Because people are going to think you didn't Davin. Right? Even though I went to the Aydam Vasikin, whatever, I davened early, whatever. But I have to go in because people might think that I'm skipping davening. So the Rav said, why not? Well, who cares? So look at this, look at the Rav. Why? What's the reason? People should not suspect him of being Nigerian. They should be Dalakab's close. Because they should not suspect him. And that's why Chazal said, if there's another door, people won't say it, etc. I mean, perhaps he will enter through another door, or if there's another synagogue. But it, by the way, you notice the language here is much more. Um, conversational because this is from a book called The Rav Thinking Aloud. The Rav Thinking Aloud is a book written by uh, David Holzer that it's all recordings of the Rav. It's not, it wasn't his, uh, it wasn't transcripts. It wasn't, th- sorry, it wasn't things that he wrote. These are the conversations that the Rav had and like sheet room that he gave on tape and he literally transcribed them. Did you, you actually hear the Rav's own voice um, in these transcriptions. Some people were upset when he put this out because they felt like the Rav would have, you know, was very careful how he wrote. Um, but nevertheless, it gives you a really interesting view into the rubs, like back and forth. It's very conversational. So he says, but if there's only one synagogue in town and he passes in front of the synagogue, he doesn't enter the hall, the base measures. So people will say about, about him without what? That he doesn't pray, he doesn't care, he doesn't want to join the tzibor. So what principles involved here? Yeah, Maris Ayin. Fine. What does Maris Ayin stand for? Correct. But what does it stand for? Again, but still, you don't answer my question. It means that the reputation of a person does not belong to him. He spoke about his body not belonging to him, about his property, about the food he eats, and now his reputation also doesn't belong to him. You might think, he can say, what do I care about people say? I don't care about public opinion. This is not so, because one's reputation is sacred. He has no right to sacrifice it. Without that principle, all the laws pertaining to Maris Ayin, go switch to the right side, um, make no sense. So again, modern ethics doesn't understand. Of course you cannot speak about law here, but modern ethics doesn't understand it. Why? It's my reputation. I, can't sa- I can sacrifice it. I can just contempt- contemptuously ignore public opinion. This is exactly what Yadis disagrees with. Man should not ignore because it's not his reputation to do with what he pleases. If a fall in his reputation, so it means a human personality is desecrated. People will not treat him with respect. He'll feel degraded. And his spiritual personality doesn't belong to him. Neither does the, his, does the reputation. One station in life. So he has no right to do that. This is the halacha of Maris Ayin. This is the halacha of Yisim Nikim. This is the reason for the halacha that one he used to bring the true Masalishka and the Mishkan to take the money for the Korbanos was dressed in a garment which had no pockets and very shortened up, white sleeves, you see. Because you shouldn't say that he hid a few coins in his pockets or in his sleeves. And, his fold, um, and you can imagine that whoever enters was not a thief, for sure not. He represents the coin, the priestly standard. And he even says, the Rav says, actually people shouldn't suspect. Have a called on the The halachas are not supposed to judge. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, uh, so the Rav very clearly is saying that this idea of I can sully my reputation is not true because when you sell your reputation, you, you sell the reputation of a Salam Alakim. Uh, people are going to say about a human being that they're doing the wrong thing and that's not my, that's not my choice. It reminds me of the story of the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim is on the train and he was going to Radin, and so, someone says to him, you know, uh, oh, he's going somewhere, and the guy sitting next to him didn't know who he was, and he says, you know, uh, where are you from? He says, oh, I'm from Radin. He says, Radin, that's where the holy Chavetz Chaim is from. And he says, ah, he's a big tzaddik, right? And the Chavetz Chaim says, ah, he's not just a big tzaddik. And the guy would get all angry at him, how can you say that? And the bottom line, at the end, the Chavetz Chaim said to the guy later, the guy found out later that he was the Chavetz Chaim, and the Chavetz Chaim said to the man, 
you know, uh, the guy who was yelling and screaming at him. And then afterwards, the man found out they arrived at the train station. Everyone was there waiting for the Chavetz Chaim. And the guy got all embarrassed. You know, he was yelling at the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim said to him, don't worry. He said, you taught me a good halach. He said, I wrote a whole book about, about Lashon Hara, right? You shouldn't speak Lashon Hara about other people. He said, you taught me a lesson too. You shouldn't speak Lashon Hara about yourself. And I was like, why not? Why can't I speak Lashon Hara about myself? I think this, maybe this is part of the idea. Because your reputation is your reputation. And it's not something that you can just throw aside. That's, that's Soloveitchik's approach. Ray Sachs says a little bit of a different answer. Ray Sachs in source number 26 says like this. He says, this concern for appearances is on the face of it strange. This is from Covenant Conversation. Surely what matters is what God thinks of us, not what people think of us. He tells a story the students of Rabbi Yochan and Zaka came to him and they asked him, you know, Rebbe, tell us one thing before you die. What should we care about? And he says, you should care as much about what a Baruch Hu thinks of you as you care about what people think of you. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? He says, look, halavai, right? People, we care a lot about what people think of us. And he says, how we appear to others, the rabbi was saying, is less important than how we appear to God. Yet people tend to take the former more seriously. In any case, it's forbidden to suspect people of wrongdoing. The rabbi said, one who suspects the innocent is, being, is, is punished by being uh, bodily afflicted. And one should always judge a person in the scale of their merits. Why then, if the onus is on the observer not to judge harshly, should we, the observed, be charged with the duty of acting above suspicion? It's their problem. Don't judge me, don't, don't judge me uh, inappropriately. The answer is that we're not allowed to rely on the fact that others will judge charitably, even though they should. Rashi, uh, Rashi makes an sobering comment, move to the right side, on the life of Moses. If he left the tent early, people would say at him that he had, that he had um, you know, a row with his wife. If he left late, they would say, he is devising evil plots against us. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, who devoted his life with total selfishness to the people of Israel, was not able to avoid their suspicion. Rabbi Moshe Sofer goes so far to say that he is the Chassam Sofer, that he was troubled throughout his lifetime by the challenge of the command, you shall be innocent before the Lord and before Israel, adding that it was far easier to fulfill the first half of the command before the Lord than the second before Israel. Indeed, he wondered if, that poss- if, if it was possible for anyone to fulfill it in its entirety. Perhaps, he said, that's what Ecclesiastes meant when he said, there's not a righteous man on earth who only does what is right and never sins. There's no one who fully is innocent in the eyes of others. Yet there's a profound idea embedded in the concept of Yisin Nikim. The Talmudic sage Rava was scathing of those who stood in the presence of a Torah scroll, but not in the presence of a Torah sage. To be a Jew is to be summoned to become a living Sefer Torah. This is classic Rabbi Sachs. People learn how to behave not only from the books they study, but also, perhaps more so, from the people that they meet. Jewish educators speak of text people as well as, well as textbooks, meaning that we need living role models as well as formal instruction. For that reason, Rabbi Akiva used to follow Rabbi Yoshua to see how he conducted himself even in private, saying, this too is Torah, I need to learn. The twin principles of Chashad and Maris Ayn mean that we should act in such a way as to be held as a role model by being above suspicion, and that just as a book of instruction should be un- unambiguous, so should our conduct. People should be able to observe the way we behave and learn from how a Jew should live. The fact that these rules apply to every Jew, not just to religious leaders, is testimony to the spiritual egalitarianism of the halacha. Each of us is bidden to become a role model. This is beautiful. It's not just for you know, rabbis and teachers, etc. It's for every single Jew. That these rules exist despite the fact that we're commanded not to suspect others of wrongdoing tells us something else about Judaism. Namely, that it's a system of duties, not just rights. We are not allowed to say when we've acted in a way conducive to suspicion, I've done nothing wrong. To the contrary, the other person, by harboring doubts about me, is in the wrong. To be sure he is. 
that does not relieve us of the responsibility to conduct our lives in a way that is above suspicion. Each of us must play our part in constructing a society of mutual respect. To me, I think this is the most you know, convincing argument of okay, Sachs' point, that the idea of Maris Ayin, again, it's a halacha either way, but that when it comes to the question of that I do things that other people should see, it's not because I'm not supposed to, you know, again, you know, yeah, I have to be worried about my, my own, my own um, reputation is important. But even more than that, because every single person is a role model. We're all there to be role models for each other. And therefore, we should be above reproach as much as possible. We're always going to make mistakes. And we do our best to, to make sure we're not doing anything that anyone could ever say was a problem, you know, speaks to that concept of being not just an orlegoyim to the rest of the world. And that's for sure true when it's with the rest of the world. But it's even true in our, uh, in our activities in, on, on a daily basis. And I think that, that really speaks to this, uh, to this point. Oh, someone pointed out, someone sent, you know, another point that if you're doing something that could, that could, uh, you know, lead to suspicion, it could also lead people to Lashon Hara. Right, that's also true. It's also true. And you'd say, but wait a minute, that's their problem. And it says it is their problem. But, it, but it, again, do you think, when you do things that bring, you know, bring that, that question to the fore, so it's certainly, you know, something that the halacha makes our responsibility also. All right, any questions? Okay. Thank you, everybody, for joining tonight, and uh, looking forward to seeing you next week.